Hello and welcome to Series 2 of the Damn Good Podcast, your one-stop shop for employee benefits and financial education to the hospitality industry. Brought to you by Davidson Asset Management. I'm Alex Keddy, or AK56, your host and corporate benefits specialist. In each episode, I'm joined by an expert from a different field within hospitality. From restaurants, to catering, luxury hotel management, to regional operations, we're asking the big questions to help you, our listeners, arm yourself with the knowledge about the three R's, recruitment, retention, and reward, and how employee benefits play a part in that. Who knows, we might even have some laughs along the way. Hello and welcome to another Damn Good Podcast. Our victim, sorry guest, uh, today is none other than Craig Prentice, founder and director of MUM and a Hospitality Action Ambassador. Welcome to the studio, Craig. Thank you, Alex. Great to be here. Excellent. It's great to have you on the show. Uh, it's good to see you fit and well. I know that you're very uh, positive on your physical and mental well-being, so it's nice to see you all uh, fit and well. Thank you. Excellent. Um, let's start off by saying you're a big believer in sharing your personal stories and how they have connected, whether by chance or good fortune, into how your life uh, has worked and also how it drives your business forward. I always want my listeners to obtain a personal sort of insight of my guests uh, by having them explain their background and how they ended up where they are today. So perhaps would you mind giving a bit of what's your story? Sure, absolutely. Um, well, I um, was an impatient college leaver at the age of uh, 18, 19 and flunked my AS levels um, big time, chose two subjects that um, I probably should never have picked, religious studies and English literature, uh, hated both and um, found myself in the middle of A-levels um, uh, craving, I guess, w work experience. I was was quite impatient and had a desire to be around people. Um, wasn't studious at all, and and um, yeah, and I left halfway through my A levels to go and work in the city of London um, for a money broker. Um, oh, so you've had some financial services <laughs> <Yeah>. experience. <laughs> so I, uh, I kind of craved this this work experience and went to work in the city of London in the late nineties, and. Um, giving away my age now, but uh, <laughs> went to work for a money broker's back of house, um, away from the trading floors. But um, I guess in a, it was an administrative support role. Uh, fantastic insight into the financial sector as it was back then. Definitely wasn't for me in terms of culture and belonging. And um, there wasn't such a thing as culture or belonging, to be honest. It was really cutthroat. Um quite toxic and if you if you've seen the film uh, wolf of wall street um you know what i'm talking about um thankfully i was quite looked after back of house uh, <laughs> but still saw the goings on and uh was didn't didn't it really have yeah uh, didn't have a desire yeah. to be part of it at all um but i stuck it out for a year i you know it was my first job um and um i felt it was important to get that work experience under my belt and then I kind of thought about what I wanted to do and had a, always had a desire or a love of um, the arts and uh, people. And so um, I applied for a box office job um, in the West End of London for one of the large theatres that was reopening and had three major shows um, incoming. And I uh, went along for the interview. I didn't think that I'd have a chance at all with no experience, but 
Um, they liked me, thankfully, and they actually offered me a PA role for the theatre managers. Um, and I I grabbed it with both hands and I, I started working for the management team of the theatre. I essentially worked for four of the management team, uh, the general manager, the catering manager, house manager, and did anything that they wanted me to do, literally. So anything from the day-to-day -day admin through to um, running for errands. So not a bad um, grounding, really, getting really, experience no, all yeah, the bits. It was and great. Yeah, it was yeah. amazing. And it was the Shaftesbury Theatre on oh, Shaftesbury nice. Avenue, which yeah. had these three major shows, like I say, at the time. And it, it was great. It was where I kind of really fell in love with hospitality and people. And uh, I started doing duty management shifts and, um, yeah, really connected on that events and, and hospitality side. And then I was given a fantastic opportunity with a larger theatre group um, as a trainee uh, theatre manager role. And uh, a company called, I think it was called Maybox at the time, which is now Ambassador Theatre Group. Oh, yes, and, I've, um, yes I've heard of them. Yeah, yeah I, I was given a fantastic opportunity by their operations director, and went in as a trainee and I think within a year and a half I became a theatre manager which was incredible um I was the youngest theatre manager in the West End at the time uh, I had hair <laughs> I had long hair as You're well giving you your age away now <laughs> and um yeah it was it was awesome it was it was a great um does that mean you were a rocker I wasn't, no, no, not, no, head, not, not at head. all, but I had curtains, <laughs> <laughs> as they were called then. Brilliant. And, um, yeah, and you know, I, stuck, I, I stuck with the theatres, and um, I did a bit of TV studio as well. There was a, in one of the theatres, there was a, a TV studio, so I got some experience on that side of things. And then I moved on to larger music venues, so I was craving bigger and better, and I went on to run a number of music venues um, in London, before moving into visitor attractions and uh, working at the London Eye, which I absolutely loved. And I was there for seven years uh, looking after hospitality operations and the day-to-day the -day operations of, of the site, of the space, which was incredible given, I think, on any one day we would have up to, I'm guessing at figures now, but thirty-five to 40,000 people in one day. Wow which was insane and at the end of one of those days you were definitely ready for for uh, a rest <laughs> but it was great you know it was it was events it was hospitality it was people and um i guess um that's where i really connected on relationships and uh, service and i guess that's the point i mean it's important i think for any sort of youngster looking into hospitality or any career you know maybe that academia is not always the the way it's portrayed and sometimes I think the government, you know, they are not being uh, trying to be apolitical, but I sometimes think the government's idea of everyone going to university can have a detrimental effect because it's not for everybody. Absolutely. And as you quite rightly say, yeah. uh, hospitality is a people, people sort of yeah. uh, business and it needs those sort of skills to do it. So, Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, that, that com combination of experience that I had and the opportunities that I were given really set me up for success. And... Um, I'd been at the London Eye for seven years. It was coming up to the Olympics, so we were prepping big time for quite big scale events, which actually never really materialised because everything happened then down at the Olympic Village. Mm. So um, I was headhunted to move into recruitment, and uh, recruitment had never been on my radar at oh, all. Oh, wow. I uh, wonder how you... Yeah, that's amazing. It was, it was a conversation that came up with um, the MD of a larger hospitality agency, over, over lunch one day and um, she asked me what was next and I hadn't even been contemplating a move um, but felt that I had kind of felt the end of the road operationally 
front line um, and was ready to do something different. So I was sold recruitment on the basis of relationships and service um, and took took a big chance after a lot of um, deliberation, thought, uh, thinking over and um, yeah, moved into recruitment before the Olympics in 2012. I've been in recruitment now for, yeah, those number of years. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's interesting. Uh, fascinating. I didn't realise that. Yeah. You, that's what I always find when I speak to my guests, there's always snippets or wonders to think, my goodness, I didn't, we'd never have thought that that's how you started out. Yeah. But it's a uh, very, very, very un, yeah, un, um, yeah, just unexpected. And recruitment, you know, I'd had some really dodgy recruitment experiences myself, you know, when I was operationally, you know, and I kind of shied away from it. You know, recruitment does have a bad reputation. Um, recruitment, you know, um, some, you know. In, in, what, in what way? Is just it in terms of the looking. Yeah, 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 recruitment and, you know, um, uh, the behaviour, you know, recruitment, the style of recruitment, the cutthroat. Uh, approach of you know I've been approached many times but then ghosted um just the general looking after and it was you know it was listen I I that I was there in that agency for just over a year I looked after temps and I looked after teams in events hotels and corporate hospitality okay. um it was full on it was a seven day a week job there was no downtime at all you know, you're permanently on call for your clients and your candidates or, you know, your temp teams. Um, and it was it was so full on that I realised, actually, I didn't want to do it for long term. And um, so I decided that perm recruitment was the way forward and, and moving. So I went to work for another large agency that at the time was quite family feel and smaller. And so I, I worked there for four or four and a half years before moving on to another agency. But... As soon as I hit the third agency, I realised that it was a third agency and that I was definitely ready for something else that was different. And, and is that the point, the difference? You know, when you saw, because obviously that experience of having been through the agencies, you yeah. probably did you think in hospitality there's a another way to do yeah. this and that's the sort of light bulb moment. That... Absolutely. So that was kind of the beginning of that new journey. So I was craving an experience in-house on the other side of the coin, I was craving a cultural experience, and I was um, headhunted, introduced to a company called Ennismore, who uh, own back then were um, the Hoxton and a group of independent restaurant restaurants, um, and obviously now part of a core. So um, again, it was a very much smaller business then. It was very family feel. Um, amazing opportunity presented to me um, initially as a consultant. Uh, working with their people team, uh, but looking after talent and um, advising, introducing people within my network to executive roles and um, new openings. Excellent, excellent. I mean, that's that's great. Thank you for that insight, Craig. Um, it moves us on nicely, a nice link into my sort of uh, first question. I mean, you know, how has recruitment within hospitality changed over the years? And I, I suppose, especially with the pandemic that we've all had to go through. I mean, in Serious One, we spoke a lot about the impact of COVID-19 and I'd be keen to learn if there's been any major changes um, as to what candidates are perhaps looking for now or, yeah. or their, their strategy um, since the pandemic. Has, if there's been anything that you've noticed, trends or anything that's changed in that front. 
I mean, there's been massive changes since the pandemic. Um, I think generally speaking, if I was to categorise it, it's expectations. It's, you know, people's um, expectations certainly have gone through the roof. People definitely now generally know what they want. Um, some of that, a lot of that is realistic and a lot of it isn't. You know, um, I think it's, um, it varies hugely. Um, what, you know, the, the balance of life and being looked after, I think, is really important. And I think that's probably the main two theme, themes coming through. Um, Do you think there's a lot more? I mean, I hear a lot about, you know, diversity and inclusion as well. Is that sort of something that's now yeah. in, in, in just re recruitment generally, I guess, is something that's got yeah. to be... Yeah, ED&I is obviously huge. Wellbeing is huge. Sorry, just for my listeners, ED... Equity, diversity and inclusion. Yeah, so um, people... Uh, are looking for genuine c cultures. Um, I think that word genuine is really keen, uh, key. And um, yeah, I think there's a lot of pretend out there at the moment. I think, it, you know, I think there's a lot of confusion between a commercial brand and actual and employee brand. I think there's a lot of companies trying to do great things. There's a lot of companies also um, portraying things that perhaps aren't culturally confirmed, you know, behind the scenes. Ah, uh, yeah, they so don't. I think, uh, I think candidates... They talk the game, but they don't actually yeah, behind it. I think there's a lot, it, yeah, yeah, I think yeah. there's a lot of that. And I think candidates are becoming, yeah. going back to your question, Alex, it, there's, candidates are becoming a lot more wise to that, you know, um, and um, understanding the need to scratch the surface to actually see what's behind the business. Great. And, and in terms of communication... I mean, the, the changes within recruitment, uh, I suppose what I'm looking at is, you know, the technology advancements. Has that made um, recruitment easier, do you think? I mean, in terms of I, just people, you know, you've got to watch what your LinkedIn or yeah. or they do videos maybe in advance of you actually getting to interview them or something. Does that come into it? Or yeah, is I there... think tech will always play a part in recruitment. I don't think it will ever take over the quality of a relationship. But I definitely think tech has a place in recruitment and is that should be there to enhance the experience. So the, either the candidate experience journey, whatever you want to call it, the engagement piece from the very beginning. Um, I suppose it can have a double-edged sword because sometimes I do hear, not related to hospitality, but just generally, you know, the younger generation are quite keen to post things online and everything. And yeah. sometimes you hear these stories where people come back and say, oh gosh, I shouldn't have posted that. Because once it's on and out there, it can, be a, it can be a, <laughs> a a challenge, I suppose, if people can look up things. Absolutely, yeah. It's um, yeah. I guess it has its positives and its uh, negatives, right? Yeah. And so, so really, from a candidate's perspective, what do you think or find is the biggest sort of selling point that they are looking for in securing a job? I know you mentioned earlier the flexibility aspect of it. Um, is there anything that's coming through? quite loud and clear what candidates are looking for. I mean, the, the generation just now, I suppose, they want things instantaneously. They want to get to this level. They want to know how to get there. Is there, is there anything in the recruitment sort of uh, focus that you could sort of say for a candidate that they're looking for? Um, again, big question, but I think it's very individual. I think we need to see potential employees as individuals and realise that... Um, person A is very different to person B. I think there are definitely staple employee benefits or um, 
yeah, benefits and and packages that relate to a general, you know, general uh, consensus. But I see are... chefs now, I guess, um, or restaurants, sorry, um, saying to, in the days when it was like seven days a week, and they're actually taking a view now that they really should close for yes. four, you know, and maybe close for two days to give the individuals that. Um, time off yeah. to allow them to recharge, recharge. And, I, and I think that's that's a good thing, I, I guess. But it, it's obviously a commercial world, yeah. and uh, you know, profitability is the bottom line to yeah. keep that going. And we know how difficult, you know, the, the cost of the price of everything going up. I mean, I heard somewhere recently that I think if somebody was to charge the full price for a burger, and that you'd be talking about, you know, thirty-five just for the burger, thirty-five, yeah. forty pounds for yeah. the experience of in a burger. Um, because of the raw materials as such. And maybe raw is not the right word. It's just cooked, I can assure you. Yeah. But but basically, um, th- that's the, the background to that. So I just wondered if an, in recruitment, if individuals were sort of de- not demanding, but asking for something in hospitality, because there's so much. Mm. So it's something I think since the pandemic, there was a lot of people saying to me that, you know, people were moving to go and deliver parcels. You know, with some yeah. like, uh, you know, one of the delivery companies because it gave them that flexibility. They could deliver as it suited them and it gave yeah. them that sort of flexibility. And I, yeah. I wondered if that's something that, because hospitality can't, you can't do that hospitality. You've got to be there for, yeah, of course. you know, the times in the hotel or, or a restaurant. So I think, number one, the intention has to be there to look after people. So the intention to look after your teams, whether they're front of house, back of house, central teams, um, management directors, whatever, needs to be there from business owners. I think that's a really important point to make. I think secondly, we need to realise that our industry is made up of um, key service teams, front of house and back of house, as well as central teams. And I think we need to recognise that we should be doing whatever we can for those different types of teams. I'm conscious that when I post stories on LinkedIn about work-life balance and four-day weeks, you know, chef down the road is going to get pretty annoyed with you know reading that but we need to be doing what we can for those teams and i think there are businesses out there that switch into four day weeks um having three days off um because it is intense yeah i've watched the 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 stories of like master chef and all these sort of things and uh, you know in that sort of kitchen high pressure brigade the brigade are under a lot of pressure and um i could fully understand why that area is becoming much harder to Absolutely, you know. um, but no, no, it, it's yeah, it's very individual, and it will depend very much on the the role and the where the, where that person works. Yeah, and, and I, I suppose that leads again onto you touched on a couple of the points from an from an employer's perspective. Um, you know, obviously they've got to find and what they're going to focus on in their job offering. I mean, is there a disconnect perhaps to what the employers looking for and what the employees? looking for and and I guess you've answered a a lot of that point because obviously the employer wants to make sure that their business is operational for as long as you know ideally seven days a week to make profit on it Mm -hmm. but the employee perhaps is looking for that flexibility and I suppose there is a disconnect there sometimes and getting that balance um, is important. Absolutely and obviously in my day today job um, at the moment I look after managers to directors and I think the synergy is definitely there from an employer and employee, generally speaking. It rarely doesn't match up, which is great. So there uh, is that understanding now yeah. coming through that you can't, to use the word, beast somebody into the ground. It's not It's not really going to be yeah. useful for that. So, Absolutely. And yeah. I think 
for me, I've always wanted to work with the right type of employers without sounding, you know, cliche. It's really important to, to work with businesses that that look after their people and, you know, walk the walk. And I think that must be something because even titles, you know, I know titles don't mean a lot, but even people in culture, as you said at the beginning, culture is becoming much more, yeah. perhaps when you started out in recruitment uh, without putting words in your mouth, was that an area that, as you no. say, was never focused on it was just a matter of yeah you know the people there we they're going to do their job and that's it there was not really the the underlying support which has changed which is a good thing i guess absolutely yeah it was hr it was you know human resources or um what was the other what was the other personnel there was personnel personnel, yes i'm i'm I'm, I'm old (laughs) enough to remember the personnel uh usually if you got a call from personnel it's always not a good thing sometimes (laughs) and now the listeners out there are going personnel yeah what's that Absolutely. I, I, I mean, when I when you speak to senior individuals about appointments, um, what are your thoughts from a recruiter's point of view about the importance of employee benefits and what role do they currently play in the recruitment process within the hospitality industry? I mean, both the sort of core ones that DAM advocate for, like, you know, pensions, life cover, private sure. medical, or the flexible ones. Um, I mean, what I'm trying to... Uh, elicit is you know how do just now benefits stack up in terms of when you're initially speaking to sure. at the recruitment stage does it come into the conversation you know I've, I've had individuals where I've spoken to general managers and they've said oh I've moved over to another position but they haven't actually necessarily taken into account their right. overall benefits package which yeah. I think sometimes in other sectors you might find they would do yeah so first of all, salaries are extremely important now, as are bonuses. People do like total clarification on on what what they are, you know, likely to receive from a financial perspective. But benefits are as well. You know, ninety um, percent of my candidates will want to know before you know progressing to an interview. Um, remuneration is super important. Yeah, and I guess probably hours of work, and as you say, bonus. I mean, yeah. But do you think? I mean, it's it's, it's useful to know for, uh, for you know from the dam perspective, because you know I've worked in financial services longer than I really care to say, as people know from previous series. Um, but I guess one of the areas that in other industry sectors, certainly in financial services, for instance, I work in, if somebody's looking for a job, they will not be aware of their understanding of things like life cover, yeah. income protection, critical illness, private medical as well as salary and hours yeah. of work and what bonus. And I think that that's kind of known in many other industry sectors, both pharmaceutical, where I used to work previously in terms of consulting pharmaceutical yeah. sector. Whereas maybe what I'm trying to understand is, is hospitality not quite there yet in terms of, is it maybe a lack of understanding of what these potential benefits and the value of these benefits are? Because a lot of these benefits are intangible. You know, mm, life cover, yeah. you, you never have to deal with. But unfortunately, we've got to be realistic. We're we, we living through periods and the pandemic showed that, that, you know, life is precious. And, yeah. and you know, we shouldn't be afraid to be prepared in an event of death because it yeah. is going to happen to us at one stage, and obviously, in our life. And I guess it's just trying to see, do you envisage a time when employee benefits may become a more significant part in the candidate's sort of requests or requirements? You're not seeing that yet, I gather. Is that no, I mean, I think candidates, 
the expectation of a candidate is huge. The expectation of a candidate, they want to know what the, what the package is, what the what the benefits are, life insurance, et cetera, et cetera. I think employers, I think the education piece is with the employers currently. I, th I think generally when I speak to employers and business owners, there is a need for education. <laughs> I think the education piece is on that side rather than the expectations of the candidate, if that so, makes sense. Yeah, so then... So that you think the employee, the, that candidates are aware of what they should yeah. be getting offered. Perhaps it's just that the employer's not necessarily putting Quite in that education yeah. as to the value of that package. Yeah. Because, or offering it. Yeah, yeah because yeah. I, I, I do know, um, I've mentioned in a previous podcast, I mean, a, a general manager that moved to another hotel group and it was as simple as he'd got an increase in salary, but he hadn't realised that his pension was actually on yeah. qualifying earnings as opposed to his full basic. So yeah. that, that he'd missed out on a significant yeah. portion. And I think that's that's a sort of, to me, an area where I think potentially the hospitality industry needs to um, improve on that, to Definitely. sort of say to them, this is actually a better package than, it's not yeah. just all about the salary. Of course, salary is important, but when you add in these other benefits, yeah. that's your overall package that's, that's important. And I think that's something that, you know, obviously, Dam's got a vested interest in, but um, but we feel it's a very important aspect of the the yeah. recruitment and retention parts within organisations. I mean, you're a really passionate promoter and thinker around the need for mental well-being of individuals and how important a role this plays within individual persons' lives. Um, not just you know their their work environment, but their home environment. How important has it been? To you, and what message do you wish to convey about the, the importance of mental well-being? Gosh, another big question, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> I guess uh, I guess you kind of started the conversation today about um, me and my personal journey, and my personal journey has very much um, influenced the direction of travel for for me and my career and my life choices. Um, I, I'll pick up, I guess, where I left off with the Ennismore story, but I joined Ennismore, um, gosh, four and a half years ago. Um, and as I said, it was probably the best new chapter that I could have asked for. I joined, the week I joined, my nan passed away. And so I had this um, testing time personally, um, but this amazing professional new chapter. Uh, and the two kind of rubbed up against each other, if I'm honest. Um, my mum, who lived in Cyprus, um, had an operation that same month, later later that month in the December, and which went wrong and sadly became quite unwell and sadly passed four months later. Um, and losing two of the most important women in my life was, um, within that time frame, was pretty horrific. Um, and I guess led me to a place where, which wasn't very healthy, which wasn't very positive and um, was a position where I needed help and uh, a, a, a position where I needed to, well, that I needed to get out of or turn around. And without oversharing, um, I became quite unwell and uh, reached out to help to a friend uh, to share what I was going through. And during that five, six month period, I've like I say, having an amazing professional chapter, I was um, withdrawing from my friendships and my family. I was um, not looking after myself, was eating the wrong things, uh, drinking tons of sugary drinks and alcohol, and um, 
like I say, as a result of those choices, I became quite unwell and um, I guess realised, um, discovered mental health personally and what that meant. And it hit home what actually mental health was. Um, and I'd heard mental health, you know, used quite significantly as buzzwords previously. But that was when I first experienced it, looking, you know, looking back through grief. And um, like I said, I reached out to a very good friend of mine, Michelle, who lives over in New Zealand, and I shared what I was going through. And um, we managed to turn things around. That's a really insightful. I mean, uh, and thank you for sharing that personal story, because I, I think that's it can tell how, you know, how difficult it was and it delighted obviously it's turned as you say turned around but I yep. suppose the point is that you know a lot of people don't talk about that and I think we do need more sort of leaders or, or people to talk about some of these issues that they've experienced yeah. so that people realise and I know there's big campaigns all the time sure. you know, for suicide and de depression and that but it just shows how things can just you know just you're, one minute your career we're yep. looking forward to and it just changes in an Absolutely. instance and I, and I think that's something that we should not be just as I was saying before, we we're talking about death. It shouldn't be something that mental health should not be yeah. sort of hidden away. And I feel that the more people that tell these stories, although however painful or difficult they are, so, so yeah. thank you very much for no, sharing no, no that. Problem. I think that's really. I important. think sharing is so important, and uh, you you know you talk about what led me to where I am today, but my personal experience has definitely influenced um, my professional career choices I got better um, I got myself to a position of confidence and and trust and um, positivity and I guess following that that chapter which I look at it as um, I decided to go solo and decided to to channel my energy and passion for do for doing something of good and used to people and um that's when i created mum excellent i mean I, and i think I, it's some of those ones that people have got to realize and it comes back to what i was on about with the benefits as well i guess There's, there are employee assist programs out there you know yeah. whether it be through hospitality action or whatever but people have to be aware and not be afraid to link in you were for, fortunate that you had a really close friend right. michelle that looked looked at it but some people may perhaps don't know where to turn to. And I think that um, it's something that really is important not to be, I guess, afraid to, to, yeah. to look for that support because you can go into sort of dark places, I, I imagine. Yeah. You just uh, yeah. illustrated that. Um, yeah, I mean, I tried to, you know, I tried to get help through various channels and bizarrely, I thought hospitality action wasn't for me. <laughs> I thought I didn't want to bother, bother the charity. Oh, you it's, know, it's, that's interesting. Of, yeah, yeah, it was interesting from a... You actually knew that they existed, but you just didn't oh, feel totally. that. Oh, totally. You know, I'd done... Because I do have some individuals do mention, oh, I don't know about if I should contact the Employee Assist Programme because I'm worried my employer knows. And I, and I always say, no, it should be confidential. And I think that's another important point yeah. about these um, programmes or, or Employee Assist Programmes yeah. that the employer doesn't know. And I think that we need to cut that sort of yeah. thought out because we don't want people but is that was that not that that was your case but i guess you just thought you didn't want to bother them is that yeah i mean i, I kind of knew that the hospitality action had an eap program which obviously i wasn't part of but um, i knew that they had a helpline as well but again i felt that it wasn't 
I don't know. It was really weird. I, I think I just wanted to hide everything I was going through, um, even from, you know, my team members and colleagues at Ennismore. I, I, you know, I used to, yeah, I, I remember isolating myself and feeling that I didn't want to bother anybody with what I was going through, which I think is a typical trait or, you know, behaviour of somebody that is um, challenged um, with grief or, or other similar um, life experiences, but I didn't want to bother. I removed so much. I removed myself so much from contact with people that I was Ubering in and out of work. I could I could normally walk to work. I removed myself really? from any day-to-day -day contact with anybody except Uber and Deliveroo. Deliveroo was my best friend. <laughs> and, um, if you look at my Deliveroo account, you know, you can see you were, you were day a to day. Top star. You were a five-star reader probably. <laughs> top star. You know, they, they bad <laughs> junk food on repeat, you know, uh, chicken wings, burgers. And, you know, and I just tried to fill my life with with comfort through you know uh food drink etc so for our listeners uh, especially in the hr community i mean everybody will be, it will be unique circumstances but is there any sort of aspect that you could i guess things like maybe being slightly as you say isolating yourself less um you know out there, um, perhaps overeating. I mean, you've got to be careful. But what I mean is, there any sort of indications or indicators that perhaps they should be aware of if somebody, if a member of staff perhaps is Gosh. feeling um, stressed? I mean, as I say, probably different things for different people. But totally, yeah. if there's anything that that maybe my listeners could say, oh, actually, that's uh, you know useful to sort of think that's that's yeah. what I, you've you've already elicited what sure. issues were you for yourself. But is there anything that could? I think be? Um, I. We'll there, were there. there were definitely people around me, Alex, that were trying to help me. Looking back, there were definitely definite individuals within, um, you know, within my workplace and and wider, you know, circles yeah. who so they spotted or identified in, different yeah, yeah, behavior. So isolating. I'm especially for yourself, who I guess beforehand, especially in the theatre, was so gregarious yeah. and you know, absolutely, it'd be a not quite noticeable change if you sort of. Become more in. inward, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. I was totally inward. My confidence was out the window. It was, it was horrific. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think it's. I think we have a better understanding, thanks to um, the last few years of mental health. I think so. The education on mental health and well-being has, has come on leaps and bounds, which I think is fantastic. Um, I think it's also come it. Owners, operators, leaders within the industry are definitely more aware of, you know, of, of what to look for. But I think that's just part of it. You know, it's then providing the support that people need. I, I think that's, I mean, going back to the point about the benefits, you were mentioning that employers are aware, employees certainly are aware, you said, yeah. but, or, or candidates are aware, but employers, you know, will put them in place, but it's not necessarily education piece. And I no. think there is a case that I always think do employers, whilst they put in place all these aspects, how important are they put? And when they actually push comes to shove and they do need it, the support is there and absolutely. the understanding and support from the employer is absolutely crucial. So yeah. basically doing doing the hard yards when it actually matters rather than just saying, well, we, yeah. we, we, you know, we'll put it as a brand, but we're very yeah. supportive. But it's employers that actually can go that and demonstrate that that will be the ones yeah. that will... And I do valued. think, yeah, and I do think if if leaders within the industry are creating positive, inclusive um, 
places of belonging, I think the well-being naturally follows without a doubt. I think if you have that intent to provide homes, work homes for people, um, I think that will naturally follow as part of that. Um, mental health first aiders are great, but um, it is just, that's a tiny part of what people need to be providing. Um, and and uh, I'm obviously an area that Dam uh, focus on is the financial well-being aspect as well. And I, I guess um, when you think that it's intrinsically linked that, you know, stress and mental uh, illness can have a big impact on, for instance, financial pressures or yeah. uh, debts, um, you know, especially in this current sort of economic downturn. I mean, how well do you think the hospitality industry uh, deals with that aspect of well-being? You know, I know we're, we're talking, as I say, you know, mental well-being, but financial well-being. How, yeah. how well do you think there's a huge area of development there as well? I think taking a step back again, I think well-being... There are well it depends who you look at who you believe, but there are five or seven different areas of well-being, and financial well-being is just one of those segments. But quite often, the one that's overlooked. Um, Hospitality Action have seen a massive increase in their um, to their helpline and EAP around financial um, pressures and crisis. So we know it's on the increase, um, meaning it's important more than ever before. Yes. Yeah. So you could see that being a an area of Definitely. significant development, yeah. especially over the next couple of years with yeah. the pressures that we see in the Great. So obviously over the past few years, recruitment and retention of hospitality workers has been and remains a challenge. You hear that in you know the caterer um, just about every week. And I know the likes of housekeeping have introduced things like uh, your you know automatic carpet sweepers. I believe that there are some venues that uh, have check-ins, you know, automatic check-ins that you don't have to deal with face-to-face. Um, I'm a bit of a, an old old star, you know, in terms of style <laughs> that I like to have yep. that face-to-face contact. That's what I believe in. But can you ever envisage robots ever making an appearance in the sector and delivering customer service so that perhaps recruitment of individuals aren't quite as, as relevant? I hope not. I know. I, when, I look at, when I look at Japan, I was yeah, over in Japan. Yeah, yeah. And Japan are really massive. On really? Their, yeah, Japan love all their... It's all, you know, mechanical. It's, it's basically kiosks, all right. electronic. And I think to myself, my goodness. So like you, I I, I prefer the face-to-face. Yeah. But yeah, you, you... I hope not. Um, can I see it happening here? I, I don't think it will. I think in the UK, hospitality is a people business. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't think... I can see us, and this is a general statement. I yeah. don't think we can see us embracing it like the Japanese. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think we've got a very different setup in the UK. Um, I guess it's how we've been brought up, I suppose. Yeah, that. it's expectation, and maybe if you are into technology, sort of age like a country, a country like Japan, maybe that's a yeah. It, they're, they're, the perceptions are different. Yeah, that, there's definitely more of a focus on tech. Although there, I right? did, I did hear that some people quite see it's a difficult one because I do hear people who quite late to just come into a hotel if they've been on a flight and they're late and they just want to just don't want to chat they just want to basically check in and they just press the button and they're in personally that's not for me even if i when i go up to glasgow and it's like even if it's pouring rain or snowing like it was last time i was up (laughs) um you know i i I prefer to have somebody there even though the hotel actually said you can just press you know put your card on your key card and it automatically connect and everything i just like to have that sort of interaction yeah absolutely me too um, like I said earlier, I think it has its place for sure. Um, 
Yes, I guess housekeeping is yeah. quite a good idea to have a yeah. automatic. I've seen them myself going <laughs> along the corridor, and they're like these little carpet sweepers that nobody's. I don't know how they're controlled. I'm fascinated, but they just seem to they just hit bump. a wall and they <laughs> bounce back and forth. So. Fantastic! <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> um, so moving on to the walk for wellbeing is a massive part of your annual calendar, and you've been so instrumental in its launch, along with many others. Can you tell my listeners about the event and why it's so important to you? And why we should all be involved sure. in some form. I mean, obviously, you've talked previously, you know, candidly about your circumstances. Um, but if you can give my listeners a, a feel for what to look forward to. Yeah, of in, course. In the end, towards the end of the year. Yeah, so to give you a bit of background, um, I am an ambassador for Hospitality Action, as you um, noted at the top of the conversation. Um, I'd like to play a proactive role with the charity as much as possible and have done for a number of years. And I sit on their fundraising board um, in London. And during the pandemic, on one of our fundraising, um, fundraising board calls, um, the charity informed everybody of the, the focus needing to switch to grant giving rather than fundraising. So um, naturally, everyone was going um, through their own challenging times financially. So to be fundraising um, just wasn't even considered. Um, however, I remember putting down the phone on the call or disconnecting from the teams and thinking that there was potentially something that we could be doing. And so I picked up the phone to one of your previous guests, Sean Wheeler, a good friend of mine, and um, and told him what I thought. So I said, you know, it's great that HA are, are going to be grant giving um, and, and focusing on that going forward for the foreseeable, but I think there's something that we can do. Um, and that something was around bringing people together at a time of separation, um, was um, about connecting people, but also raising the profile of me um, well-being and mental health within the industry. So promoting better, uh, more positive well-being across the industry, which we all know is is, is needed. And... Um, we, yeah, I shared the idea of a walk and we we started to create it and Sean has been instrumental in supporting me with that and growing it year on year. So this year we're back for a fourth year um, for Walk for Wellbeing in kicking off on September the 30th. And the walk is all about people stepping up and taking part however they can to promote better mental health within the industry and to walk the walk. You know, there's a lot of talk and um, you know, I like to put things into action in, in my own life that that influence positivity. And I think the walk gives people an opportunity to do that, whether it's partaking, sponsoring. Uh, Dam have played a part over the last few years. Indeed, which has yeah, been we enjoyed it last. No, we 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 enjoyed it. We participated last year, and it yeah. was terrific. And it was also a great opportunity, as you see, to mix with people within hospitality, your peer groups, but also yeah. just when you're doing the walk open up and you know yeah. speak to people who you would never normally speak to perhaps Absolutely. in that period of time that you're doing the walk and and for a lot of people don't worry the walk is not too strenuous is it you know <laughs> <It's> we, not, <laughs> no. just no, in case people are going oh my goodness what? no the great thing about the walk is that we've we've tried to make it accessible for as many people as possible wherever they are across the UK and um so this year we're back fourth year um, we are doing 30th of September through to October the 15th. So it's two and a bit weeks. You can walk wherever you are. You're in your own location. However, 
far you want to, whenever you want to, during that period. Or you can take part in a hosted walk in, I think we're up to six cities now, um, to be confirmed uh, on the Sunday, the 8th of October, 20 kilometres. And at the moment, we are London, Birmingham, Manchester, Glasgow. Glasgow. You'll be indeed. pleased to hear. Yes, indeed. We have <laughs> already booked up for my uh, <laughs> my trip. And we're just waiting for um, two cities to give us the nod down in the southwest. There's been some interest from the southwest of the UK, which is brilliant Excellent. because we can bring in the walk to there. But um, yeah, in London, we're, we're going to be in Battersea Park this year, oh, which is right. incredible. Last year, we were in the Royal Parks. This year, we're in Battersea Park. Um, it's uh, slightly more accessible. Um, and um, yeah, quite a fun route, route, circular route. So that'd be fun. Excellent, excellent. So all you listeners out there, please pass on the message and get as many people to yeah, sign up great, and participate. Yeah, listen, it's it's a great thing for individuals, for teams, families. We had an amazing um, spirit of hospitality in the Royal Parks last year. We had two, I think it was it, two hundred people walking in the park. We've got. 500 spaces in Battersea uh, Park this year so we're hoping for more and we're across the UK we're encouraging a thousand people to walk to promote better mental health and well-being yeah and I guess it also within departments it can lead to a bit of competitiveness no doubt yeah there's a few few bits of that going on as well (laughs) (laughs) well excellent well thanks very much Craig for being my guest today and sharing your insights and knowledge on such an important topic um, within the hospitality and to our listeners Hope you found this informative. So until the next time, remember, take care of you tomorrow. Be seeing you. Thank you for tuning in to the Damn Good Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. It really does help us reach more ears. If you want to hear more from the Damn Good Podcast, you can listen to Serious One now, which is available at our website at www.damngoodpensions.com or wherever you get your podcast from. If you'd like us to put a question to one of our esteemed guests, please do not hesitate to get in touch. Until the next time, here's to your tomorrow.